Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome to this latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we've got a very important topic about nonprofit leadership today. Uh, as the announcer mentioned, it is a live call-in show, so feel free to call in. We're also uh, live casting over on Facebook, so you can join us over at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart. Uh, you can ask questions there or just watch us live. Uh, and uh, you can also email me your questions today at tedhart at tedhart.com. As always here on the Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. Over here on uh, page one news, we want to bring you up to date on an important training session that the Nonprofit uh, Coach, myself, Ted Hart, uh, has been involved with now for many years. Neil Galliford is joining us here. Neil, what's going on in Toronto? Well, we're coming up on our eighth annual Digital Leap Conference. It's a one-day conference, especially for uh, not-for-profits, uh, communications people, marketing people, fundraisers. Eight years. So how do, we, how do you keep a, a program like that fresh that's not just the same old, same old? Well, you know, we, uh, we're we always keeping our, uh, our finger on the pulse of what's going on. We pay attention to what's happening at other conferences. And, of course, every year we survey the participants to find out not only did they enjoy what they saw, did they learn something, but also to ask them what kinds of topics they'd like to see included in the program. And then we try to build the program to suit their needs. That's right. Now, I, I, I posted over on Facebook the, the link to Digital Leap 2017. It's the, as you mentioned, the eighth annual Digital Leap Conference, specifically focused on nonprofit organizations and their use of technology and the Internet. Um, so uh, I heard that registrations are way ahead of prior years. Yeah, actually, that's right. We're, uh, we're, we're actually – 
you know, cautiously predicting a sellout this year, although we, uh, we've done that before in the past. And uh, uh, right now we're uh, quite a bit ahead of last year and we're coming up. Uh, I guess there's, I guess there's about a month left to the uh, end of the early bird uh, when uh, people can get the best price for, uh, for their tickets. March 17th well, and, is the last day for the early bird. Yeah, and the, the event itself is Tuesday, April 25th in Toronto. Uh, it's still going to uh, be at the Art Gallery of Ontario. Uh, they've been such wonderful hosts uh, for the last uh, many years. But, you know, here we are uh, pretty early out uh, from April 25th, still promoting the early bird rate. Uh, but folks probably want to get in on this before it sells out because we're way ahead of ticket sales. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if we sold out uh, even before the the early bird? That'd be fantastic. I mean, it's, you know, it's a great venue. We have a great lineup of speakers this year. Um, there's everything from strategy sessions, things you need to be thinking about for next year, uh, to case studies and how-to sessions, things that you can apply as soon as you get back to your office the next day. So we're pretty proud of the people we found and the topics that we're going to be covering. And I know you're going to be back here on the show uh, between now and, and April to share with us some information about uh, the lineup of great speakers and some of the other activities that are going to be taking place at Digital Leap 2017. Uh, I hope to come back and, uh, and report back, and uh, hopefully I can get back to you before we sell out. Um, and uh, I hope people remember it's one of the best parties of the year, too, after after a, a terrific day of learning all about digital uh, communications, fundraising, and marketing. Uh, people get together, and we, we're able to, to meet good friends, make new friends, and uh, uh, generally have a good time. And that's part of the conference. Uh, the, the cocktail reception at the end has become a tradition uh, of uh, the Digital Leap, and everybody really has a, a great time. So good day of learning and uh, some fun with uh, colleagues and some uh, meet some new friends. Absolutely. And I, I should uh, let people know that if they uh, bring a, bring a, a, a friend, uh, they can get an even uh, cheaper price uh, on, on our dual rate. And if you bring more than another person, if you bring three or more, you can get uh, a further discount. So talk to the people in, uh, in your office and uh, see if you can find two or three people who'd like to go with you and bring them along. It'd be fantastic. I'm so glad that you mentioned that, Neil, because that's been also a tradition of Digital Leap in that we, we believe in group learning. Uh, and because some of these topics uh, can, are certainly cutting edge, uh, certainly sometimes uh, can be complex or dense, um, you know, different people learn in different ways, different people hear things in different ways. So when you bring a, a couple people from your office, uh, we, we feel you're more likely to get that, that sort of deep immersion in these topics. And not only that, you, you, don't, uh, you don't have FOMO, fear of missing out of the session next door, because you can divide and conquer. Uh, there's two sessions at a time for much of the day. So that's, uh, it's great to have two people who can monitor both, uh, both sessions. That's right. Well, that's uh, uh, Neil Galliford uh, bringing us up to date on uh, first announcement here of the early bird uh, for Digital Leap uh, 2017, uh, April 25th in Toronto. And uh, Neil, look forward to seeing you there and having you back here on the show to bring us up to date as uh, planning continues. 
Yeah, wonderful. I'd love to do that. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. And I, I would like to mention that Engaging Networks and Frontstream are our, our, our major sponsors this year, and we need they're the ones that make it uh, possible for us to keep the uh, the price of tickets low. So uh, thanks to them. Yeah, the ticket price is very low, but we believe in making it accessible for uh, for nonprofits. Uh, and, of course, uh, sponsors are the ways that we, uh, we help make that happen. So, again, Neil Galford, thank you for being our guest here on The Nonprofit Coach. Uh, it's great to talk to you, Ted. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day. And in that spirit, we're going to move right on to page two. Mark Pittman is uh, my guest here today on The Nonprofit Coach, and uh, Mark has a, a long and distinguished career, and, and where what he brings to our discussion today, I think, is, is so timely and so important. Uh, he is uh, the international leader, uh, coach, and fundraising uh, coach and trainer. Mark helps nonprofit members and staff get excited about asking for money, excited about fundraising. Of course, every nonprofit really needs uh, more money, but how do you get there? He's the author of Ask Without Fear, uh, the executive director of the Affordable Fundraising Training Program, the Nonprofit Academy, and an advisory panel uh, member of uh, uh, Rogaire, the prestigious international fundraising think tank. Uh, welcome here on the Nonprofit Coach, Mark Pittman. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be back. It's great to have you back, and this topic is so important. Uh, we just can't spend enough time on, on this issue of nonprofit leadership, the appropriate role of, of nonprofit leaders, what fundraisers need to know about uh, their nonprofit leaders, um, and uh, an appropriate role. But, but you're saying, and, and I'm going to let you get started here, that nonprofit leadership is in crisis. What does that mean? We have, as you know, there, having been in the sector for a long time, there, I have a slide deck that shows um, hand-drawn images of Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill and having it fall back down. Um, it feels like we keep going through these tumultuous sort of um, moments of, of, of feeling like we've got to get our act together in the nonprofits. We, we need to get better leadership. We go through some sort of study like Compass Point or um, there are so many that do great studies uh, and we learn some information, but nothing really changes. And, and where I've seen it anecdotally is, you know, so we have the, we have the headlines that show it a lot um, in a lot of the different studies. But what I see anecdotally too in my coaching practice, and you may see this as well, is that there are a number of, of executive directors that are getting bullied by their boards. Not just harassed or held to the you know feet held to the fire, held accountable. That's fine, but they're actually getting bullied. They're being treated worse than we would let our kids be treated in a, a playground at school. Have you been seeing that too? Well, I, 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 tell me more about that. I mean, what, what do you? I mean, that's a pretty strong language. What, it's incredibly what strong you, language. I've had uh, yeah. executive directors, uh, and it was an increasing amount. You know, one or two. Sure, but these were these weren't even unstable individuals. They were solid individuals with a good track record, or a good good reason that they were chosen as executive director. But after the board makes their decision to hire this person as the CEO of a nonprofit, um, they do this amazing amount of of 
micromanaging minutia and even positioning to be ready to fire the person. Um, so they're, they're, it's often some, you know, kind of some of the symptoms are calls after hours, which in part can be just the board members have lives too, and they have work, so they can't call during the day, but, um, 11 PM at night or one in the morning, that's too, that's beyond the pale. Um, at, you know, midnight on, on Sunday, that was often with some of the people that were calling me for coaching. Um, they had other ones where they were being, the board was telling the executive director not to, to, not to get too involved in the operations of the organization, which makes no sense at all. Um, and then there was also, there, there are all sorts of other issues with it. One, one classic example, I mean, you, you and I would see this as a total red flag. One of the board members was um, the son-in-law of another board member, and that particular board member, the son-in-law, had applied for the executive director position too and didn't get it, but was still allowed wow. to be on the board with the mother-in-law, who was upset that he didn't get it. So, I mean, there's there's a, something well, that would just be obvious. Let, let's let's break this let, let's break this down. I mean, there there. Let, let me let me just re- reflect on a few things uh, uh, that it, you're yeah. saying because because I want to. I want to put this in in context because you have you have a very broad international experience, so you see a lot of lot of different uh, nonprofits and and I think and, and and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong. There certainly are outliers out there, and there are uh, nonprofit organizations that are toxic for a number of different reasons. Um, but first of all, they're, they're simply not going to be successful if they are that toxic on the long term. So what, when I'm hearing what, what you're saying, there, there's a few things here. Um, did the person who took that position do their homework well enough? Because mm-hmm. my experience is that boards of directors that are that, are that inappropriate, uh, that, that have so little knowledge of their role, uh, which is an oversight and, and governance role, not a management role, um, that those things don't just appear overnight. Those are things that have grown up over time. Uh, they become the norms for the board. And board members don't necessarily know any better because that's how it's always been done. So the question for a professional is, do you go into that situation negotiating the terms for the turnaround because there is at least some knowledge on the part of the board that things aren't working the way they would like them to? Um, or do you simply not take the job because the organization is not capable of writing its, its own ship? And, and I, I come from the perspective and, and in my training and, and when I work is um, I try to remind people that board, good boards of directors are not born. They don't happen organically. Um, it's because they're trained uh, or there are board members that have come from very good experiences that help the board understand their proper role. But what you're saying there seems to me an, an indication of uh, a, a purely toxic board that does not understand its role. And as you said, to have someone who's applied for a position, didn't get it, and then is serving on the board of directors is in and of itself a conflict of interest and is going to lead to toxic behavior. And for yeah, and if this were just in, in the in the uh, you know like one of one out of a you know many different people that are looking for coaching, that would be one thing. But um, we've also seen this overseas uh, in in the UK, um, the incredible turmoil in the charity industry because of the media making fabricating a story. I mean, talk about hashtag alternative facts, um, mm-hmm. making a story up about a 
person take, committing suicide because of being hounded to death by charity and having a total vacuum of charity leadership uh, to that would stand up and say, that's not the story. That's not the narrative. That's not that. And the family even said, you know, our mother didn't take her life because of the charity. She actually liked giving. Um, she felt like she was a burden because of her health. But um, the media kept the story going. And then the politicians got in and started making these incredibly draconian changes across what not charities are able to do or, or proposed changes um, that they would never put on a for-profit company. Like requiring it. One, one draft had it that they'd require any, no charity, no nonprofit could talk to it anybody unless that person opted in so it'd be like saying to apple or walmart you can't talk to anybody unless they've specifically said yes i want to hear from apple or walmart um there's so it's just it's, well there are, there are differences in privacy laws in the uk and in the eu that do require more opt-in uh than our standard here in the u.s which is opt-out but still, this is this was beyond the pale because uh, the Center for Sustainable Philanthropy over at the University of Plymouth in the UK, Adrian Sargent, Ian McQuillan with the uh, Regare uh, Fundraising Think Tank, there they were even raising the battle cry of, wait a minute, this is wrong. This is not, yeah, the, this is not the way that sh- this should be done. And where are the nonprofit leaders to stand up to this? Uh, here in the United right. States, fortunately, we have a little bit of a different response, but it took a while. Uh, the IRS was going to require every single nonprofit to keep the social security number of donors uh, with gifts of $250 or more in their databases. And as you and I know, nonprofits are yeah, still a lot of nonprofits, good people, but they're not, and we are, we're in a great sector, but we don't always have the right resources for databases. Sometimes we're using spreadsheets uh, and the amount of <laughs> awfulness to, for privacy that that would be uh, was, oh. it was amazing. And fortunately we get that yeah, shot that was, down that at that the last just, minute. Well, that was just trouble waiting, waiting to happen because that, that, yeah, certainly turning that back um, a couple of years ago was, was, it was important, but, but let's, let's focus back on, on your topic sure. and, and obviously examples of, of, you know, pure leadership in crisis and boards of directors that are very, very toxic. Um, but, Give give me a sense because you you have some some very important um, statistics that uh, that you shared in uh, your recent uh, report. Forty nine percent of nonprofits have no strategic plan, and and that by itself, of course, is uh, is is not good because if you don't know where you're going, uh, you don't have any goals, then you're not going to know if, uh, when you got there. Sixty one percent of CEOs have have no formal evaluation with the board. Um, and, and that's such a, not just the evaluation, but the dialogue um, that, that pursues around an evaluation is so important to the stability of the organization and the role of the board to provide oversight. I, I want to sort of stop with that number um, yeah. and, 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 and focus in on, because I think that number by itself shows uh, leadership in crisis because any board of directors that doesn't realize that, that two, two of its most fundamental duties, one is to hire a good uh, chief executive, uh, the other is the oversight of that chief executive, how can you accomplish that without a formal evaluation? Well, and that's, I, I totally agree. Um, there's the, the fact that most CEOs are not even getting any evaluation, but that probably, I, I, you know, what's the chicken or the egg? 
that the 77% of nonprofits and the recent research we did with Concord Leadership Group uh, said they don't even have a formal succession program or leadership training program. Um, it, there just seems to be, I think part of it is, again, going back, I, I, I get passionate about this and I can sound critical and my intent is well, to train people. I, I think, I think you're, I think you, you <laughs> serve the role of sort of being, being the, the conscience of the nonprofit sector when it comes to board leadership, because without someone like you, who is sort of the, the keeper of the norms, the trainer of the norms, then it's entirely possible that sort of toxic board behavior becomes the norm. Well, thank you. Um, where I think it's, I think it's, what was intriguing to me was the 49% of nonprofits not having a strategic plan. Jen Chang over at the University of um, Plymouth asked me when I, I did the research and with our partners to make sure that it could be built on other academic research. It wasn't just a marketing fluff piece. I didn't want to do that. Um, so when we came, I, when I when the, shared with her that 49% of uh, nonprofits had no strategic plan, she said, well, that's interesting, but so what? Um, and some people have been burned by strategic plans. It, it's seen as a consultant's way of getting in and and taking the watch off the hand, you know, the the board chair's hand and telling them what time it is and giving the watch back. Um, and it, a good strategic plan is so much more than that, as you know. It's it's figuring out what's our scorecard. How do we know that we're making moving forward? What ways are we going to get that funded? Uh, and we found that without this written strategic plan, um, mo more, about half of nonprofits have a huge time telling their story or a huge hard time. They say that they uh, really struggle with making sure that their brand is understood, which in retrospect is, is a kind of no duh, because it's not articulated anywhere where people understand it and share it. Um, mm -hmm. But that I think leads to why CEOs aren't getting evaluated. Uh, it's, if there's no strategic plan, it becomes more of a kind of cult of personality boards get afraid to hold their CEO accountable because they don't want to make it look like it's a personal attack. Um, and CEOs don't have the model of this is the transparency that I'm, I'm being held to. So there's a lack of wanting to hold their staff to that. Uh, unfortunately for staff, it becomes a moving target because without a written strategic plan, it can be the whim of the CEO or the whim of the board um, changing month to month or quarter to quarter, which is just part of the reason why uh, uh, over 30% of CEOs of uh, nonprofits that responded here said their turnover in their nonprofits was high. Uh, you know, we want some turnover always because it, it's, it's, we always want to be rewarding the performers and, and helping other people find <laughs> where they fit. But um, that, that's nicer than saying firing people. But um, we also want to retain talent. And that isn't always what's happening with, and other, and other reports have shown that. So, um, it, yeah, it's, it is, it's, to me, it seems like malfeasance that the board wouldn't do the service of treating the CEO with enough respect to say, Hey, we hired you to do something. Let's check in to see how it's going. And you can tell us too. have, have the markers moved. You're the expert in this space. Um, right. are we still aiming at the right targets? Well, and I think that's, uh, again, it, good boards are not born. They have to be trained. Um, and in that concept, it's, it, if you want to have a good strategic plan, having a, a description of what a strategic plan actually is. Um, because the, the, the problem for a lot of organizations is that they 
you know, they go through this entire process. As you said, they hire an outside consultant. Uh, it's sort of this, you know, glossy report put in a binder. It's put up on the shelf. And then they continue to run the organization uh, the way that, that they've always run the organization. And what I try to share with folks is that um, a good strategic plan is a series of benchmarks and guideposts that point you mm. in the direction of what you want to change. But it's a living document, and it's something that you are, you know, what is that next benchmark, and are you reporting? And I think it's incumbent upon the CEO um, to take the responsibility of reporting on a regular basis uh, on that strategic plan so that when things are not happening, for instance, money wasn't raised or, or uh, relationships weren't developed um, according to plan, we know that in real time, and so we can uh, mm. course correct as an organization to now what do we do about that? Because clearly five years from now, we're not going to be where we want to be if we've not met the benchmark of, you know, raising half a million dollars, you know, by whatever the uh, target or deadline. Uh, and I think that's what goes wrong with strategic plans. And so I, I took your number um, that, uh, that, that you shared in, uh, in your report uh, where you said that 49% um, uh, of nonprofits have no strategic plan uh, as an indication of at least 49% of nonprofits probably don't know what a good strategic plan is or they've been involved that in the strategic be, yeah. planning process and, and it didn't, in, their, in their view, it didn't go well um, because they weren't properly instructed on how a good strategic plan is actually operationalized. It, what was shocking too in the in uh, the research was that it was a number. It wasn't just small nonprofits. I would have, I I have worked in a one or two person nonprofit. I've start, I founded my own. I know what that's like when you're wearing a ton of hats, and I could see why it would seem hard to take out the time. And it, it, good strategic planning isn't always fun. Some of it is is discipline. You have to get some some of this done, but. Uh, so I could see why it wouldn't be that. But even the larger organizations of $5 million or $20 million operating budget, one in five of them don't have – or say that they don't have a written strategic plan either. Um, and what's interesting yeah, with, with you're saying what to do it – what's that? Not a matter of size. Um, you know, I, th right. I think it's a, a matter of properly understanding it and being engaged in um, what a strategic plan can do or should do. And part of that, which shocked me in, in the, re, the research, was the 62% of nonprofits saying that their strategic plans didn't even have a sustainable fundraising plan in it. Um, mm -hmm. Part of you know, strategic plans is, uh, I'm sure you would say as well, you'd agree with this, that it's not just what do you want to do and what are the ways that you benchmarks that you're going to have to figure out if you're doing what you want to do, but it's also how are you going to fund that? Or as we, the right. Concord Leadership Group, like to say, is how are you going to resource it? Because it doesn't always have to be just donations coming in in cash. It can be gift and kinds. It can be you know, overlapping missions where you do joint projects together. But there has to be some sort of a plan. Um, I've been the development guy that had a board member come in and say, boy, we had a great board meeting last night. Can't wait to see how you're going to raise that extra $100,000 for the project. Fully thinking yeah. that there was some magic you know, slot machine in the sky, I was just going to pull an arm and, and get an extra $100,000 from an already strapped fundraising budget. So, uh, right. Well, and again, I think it goes back to the, the fundraisers, the CEO and the staff people who are, you know, in that seat to work with board members 
to when that happens, say, okay, well, how are we going to do that? You know, we have now set that goal. And, and, and one of the things that I often, and, and I'd like you to, to reflect on this. So when I do board training, um, one of the things that, that I add to the, the training when we talk about fundraising, we talk about budget and the role of the board, is I, I make a statement to, to the board. I say that the, the good news and one thing that, that oftentimes boards do not understand um, is that there is nothing inherent um, and nothing legal and no requirement that says that boards of directors have to do fundraising. You don't have to do fundraising. And, and I just kind of let that sit out there for a second because, of course, for you know, some board members are like, see, I told you. Ah, ah, see, you dodged a bullet there. <laughs> right. And then, and then what I share is I say the only way that you become responsible for fundraising is when you adopt a budget as the board that requires fundraising. Mm. So if you are uh, able to fund this organization through fee-for-service, through other means, and you don't need fundraising, then you don't have to do fundraising. But as a nonprofit board, if you have fundraising as part of this budget, you cannot adopt the, the, the budget with fundraising without a plan for how you're going to have that money come in any more than you would adopt a budget that says the state of whatever, we have a contract and they owe us a certain amount per student, whatever, and you calculate that out and you say, okay, we're budgeting this amount because we have a contract that says that we're, that we're going to have that money. So the question is, if you need $100,000 to make this budget work and that's going to come from fundraising, what is the plan? Absolutely. And you've now made yourself responsible for fundraising. You didn't have to because you could cut that 100000 from the budget and say, we're not going to do any fundraising. We don't want to do that uh, and, and have no fundraising. So I'm going to leave See, it to you to reflect. What, part of what that part I, of, I've been seeing. Part of the training okay. that I do for board members. <laughs> <laughs> we're both so passionate about this. We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so part of what I, I want to – and the coaching that I do with – that that's an absolute – part of the training with board, with board members, the coaching with executive directors, or I call them CEOs because uh, board members often don't understand executive director or general manager, but they understand CEO instinctually. So I just like to say nonprofit CEO um, because it, it gives board members, it helps them give the credit to the position that the esteem that it deserves. Being an executive director of a nonprofit is incredibly challenging. If you're running a company, you've got customers, you serve your customers, you may have shareholders. But if you have, if you're an executive director of a charity, you have not only the people you're serving or the mission you're serving, but you have the staff that are the program experts, and it's usually not you. Then you have this board that's your boss, and it's a board as a whole is the boss, not the individual board members, but people forget that. Um, and you have these other things called donors that, you know, in a company, if you're giving customer satisfaction, you're going to be generating revenue. But in the nonprofit, it's you're not doing mission satisfaction, you're doing donor satisfaction. So it just can be bewildering. Um, so one of the things that has helped a lot of executive directors is to realize that their board needs their time too. Um, and the board will never say, you know, budget time for us. But for many executive directors, it can take up to 30% of their time um, to, and, and, and it's not just 
allowing the board members to call the shots because most board members are good at certain things, but they're not good at necessarily running a nonprofit. So it's um, setting goals. Where do I want the board to be at? What, what do I, what do I hope they'll understand in the next six months? Or as I did with a recent coaching client, you have a new board chair coming in in June. What do you hope he'll know by then? Yep. And then back it yep. up, just like you would with a fundraising appeal where you have to, okay, I want to drop to then. So here are the t- deadlines where I need to get the stuff done. When do I share with him the Dan Pilata TED Talk? And when do I share with him so a board training workshop in the area? And when do I share with him? Um, and she, it just blew her mind to think of it. I don't think anybody's really coaching or telling executive directors, oh, by the way, not only do you need to be really good at what you do, but it's going to take a ton of time on fundraising. And board relations are really important. <laughs> the good news of that, Ted, is as, as CEOs get better at relating to their board, their, the quality of their life <laughs> can drastically improve. Well, and, and you know, again, it's going to go back to, you know, this, this notion that I have that, you know, good boards are not born, they have to be trained. Um, and part of that is they have to be willing to be trained, and some boards aren't. Um, some boards true. are, are so true. invested in their own toxic behavior um, that they, they can't see the problem is them. Um, and so the, the question the professionals have to ask themselves is, is it possible to negotiate the terms through which those discussions can take place, um, or do they need to serve another organization? And that's always one of the things I think um, is is just exciting about this is that as a Franklin Covey trained coach, I firmly believe we're never victims. Um, we're only victims to a point, but we need to take action. There's always an opportunity for us to affect change. And that change may be within the organization, which I think there's a lot of things that people can try to do, but there are those people um, there. I've seen over the last few years in particular, some board members that get their, they seem to be not getting any enjoyment in life or any um, ego affirmation anywhere else, but in their title as the board chair, and that they're just toxic people. Um, and that's where you can choose, well, if I can affect, if I can affect change here, then I need to remove myself from my own say, peace of mind and my family's peace of mind uh, for my own self-care. And unfortunately, the nonprofit sector isn't really good at promoting self-care. It's better at, as my wife always says, promoting uh, codependency and and dysfunction and rewarding it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and 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 I think it's it's important to understand. And and I think this is one of the other things that that often gets in the way of that is that you know many folks who come into the nonprofit sector do sort of come with a sense of wanting to be or serving as um, the mm-hmm. savior. Um, and and I, I think that it, it has to be a shared responsibility between uh, the CEO or the chief executive and the, uh, the board members who want to um, move in the right direction, who want to grow the organization. Um, and, and that means they have to both want to have change. Uh, even though they may have different mm-hmm. capacities for change and it may take more time, there has to be that desire. And, and I'm just going to leave you with this, and then I'm going to, um, at, we're going to take a very quick break, and then uh, we'll sure. be right back. Um, but what I want to leave you with and ask you to reflect on when we come back is um, this, this shared role between the board and the chief executive um, in finding these solutions in a very competitive environment. 
And what does it mean if you're invested in being a toxic organization? And we will be right back. Have you ever wished you could take back an email you sent to the wrong person? Or have that nagging feeling that your confidential message was forwarded without your consent? Do you sometimes email sensitive data even though you know most email is insecure? And we all have, because we're busy. And because in the world of email, there are no takebacks. Until now. Introducing Virtue, the simple way to send and receive secure email with confidence. Virtue is easy to install and use, and it works with your favorite email programs like Gmail, Outlook, Yahoo, MacMail, and more. When you hit the Send Secure button, your email is encrypted before it leaves your computer or smartphone. And even better, you can revoke a message at any time. You decide whether a message can be forwarded by recipients. You can track where your message is forwarded, and more. Download Virtue today and start sharing with confidence. Because everyone deserves digital privacy and security without hassle. And please get out your calendars next week here live on The Nonprofit Coach. Uh, we will uh, have uh, Deborah Kaplan-Polivi. Uh, Dr. Polivi is going to be with us to talk about the donor lifestyle map, a model for fundraising success. So make sure that you've got that on your calendar and don't miss the opportunity to join us next week here on The Nonprofit Coach. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we are back here live with Mark Pittman, the fundraising coach, uh, who is here to uh, talk about uh, his notion and the research that he's done that shows uh, that uh, nonprofit leadership is in crisis, but we're also here to provide some solutions around that. So, uh, Mark, before we went on break, I, I left you with this, this notion of a competitive environment and how long can you stay toxic and still survive? Well, and the words that you use also are the shared role of the board chair and the executive director in that. And um, I think one of the things that we've noticed uh, back 20 years ago when we started one nonprofit, we wanted to get urban and suburban kids together. And we noticed that when urban and suburban kids got together for the sake of getting together, that never seemed to work. It always felt forced and contrived, almost like role playing. You know, I can't stand role playing for that reason. It's just forced and contrived. But when we get them working together on construction projects, the relationships that we wanted to see started to grow because they started to get to know each other as people as they focused on something else. So I was thinking about the shared role of the board chair and the, and the nonprofit CEO is one of the issues in nonprofits that is 100% undeniable is that nonprofit leaders are eventually going to die. Even the founders, no matter how good they are, and with Pew Charitable, it's Pew uh, Institute saying that we've got, um, I think it's it's thousands. Is it something like 19,000 um, baby boomers turning retirement age every day for the next 19 years, or 10,000? 
we can it, it's in the report but um there's a there's a huge demographic shift happening and people aren't retiring at 65 that's fine but without it becoming a personal attack we could start talking about succession planning um and we can start talking about what are the things that we want to have in place um should you as one of my clients called it get hit by a moose uh, up in northern New England, if you get hit by a moose, the odds of you surviving aren't that good. Um, and that, and so that can be just a structural organizational thing. Not that the board chair is saying to the, C, you know, the executive director, "Hey, I don't want you here." And not that the executive director is saying to the board chair, "I don't want to be here." It's just good practice to prepare for if if the nonprofit should last beyond both of their tenures. If it shouldn't, then there's no reason to have succession planning. But for the most of us, <laughs> there is. And an easy low-hanging fruit of that is professional development, helping the staff figure out, asking the staff, what are the things that would help you do your job better? And then choosing which ones are within the budget or in the, in, within the resource mix that the nonprofit has access to. Working together well, like that, I essence, think you can develop a better the relationship. The dialogue, right? That's the essence of the dialogue is there are limited resources and certainly increased competition. And so the, the partnership, so talk to me about, let's move, you know, we've talked about some of the crisis, we've talked about some of the problems and, and we've agreed um, that there are toxic boards, but move us towards the definition of how things should be. What, what are some of the goals that uh, my listeners should have? And, and then, you know, put, put your coaching hat on, how do they start that dialogue? Well, so the first the first thing I, I would be great, and I've I've had executive directors really try to get their board to do this, and there it, it's been a hard hard sell, unfortunately, is um, kind of work out a, a strategic plan, um, work it out with the board uh, because they're the holders of the mission, and if you you can Google it and get thousands and thousands and millions of different templates, but the four co big questions uh, that are helpful in, in strategic planning are what are we doing and why are we doing it. Uh, mm -hmm. I know it's it's that's actually two, but that's the first one. What are we doing and why? Then the second is how are we going to get it done? So what are the goals? What are the objectives? Um, doing a SWOT analysis, looking at other organizations that are doing it or other approaches. And then third, how will we resource this? How will we fund it? Is it you know income? Is it fees? Is it fundraising? Is it uh, gifts in kind? And then the last one that I think a lot of strategic planning misses out is the fourth one. Who are we going to tell? And you need to be telling internally and externally. So that's just so getting those, having answering those questions. Um, and if you're the executive director that needs to do it yourself, then you know the good news is you get to write your own job description, even as scary as that can be. Um, but then having it with the board chair and the board, and and just saying, does this look right? Does this look like what you guys signed up for as well? Um, and then hardwiring it into the plan. Uh, part of one of the things that's really scary about leadership is it can feel like there's no rudder, but when you have an agreed upon outcome and agreed upon ways to get it done, not that you're locked into it, like you said earlier, Ted, it's a guideline, it's a benchmark, and then you can have a dialogue about why are we missing this or why, why do we hit it early or why did we, why have we not reached this yet? Um, but start review using it in performance reviews referring to it quarterly or so and my uh, one thing i love is the idea of cascading goals have you have you heard this in in leadership coaching yeah go ahead okay um it's many ceos that i that i work with find themselves kind of split 
two minds. They're, they have the, the seemingly random things that the boards ask them to do for the next year, increase fundraising by 25%, you know, do, do increase uh, employee satisfaction by 14%. You know, just, it seems kind of uh, all over the place, kind of scattered. And they have this list that they know they're going to, if they're going to be reviewed, that's what their board's going to be asking them about in 12 months. But then they have, they want to be really good leaders and, and servant leaders and, and coaching facilitative leaders. So they turn to their staff and they ask them, what do you need to do your job well? And in doing that, they haven't shared what the board says the organization's objectives are because they own the organization's objectives as their own CEO objectives. Um, cascading goals turns that on its head by taking the board's to-do list and sharing it with the organization. And so the yeah. CEO can then turn to their staff and say, this is what the board is calling us to this year. What right. resources right. do you need to get that done? And then every staff right. and becomes moving that forward. Exactly. On established goals um, so that they're written down. One of the things that, that I, I encourage chief executives to do um, is to keep what I call the CEO action tracker. Um, and what that is, is, and, and date, date the, the, uh, when the topic comes up. Because what often happens is you're sitting at a board of directors and say you've got 10 boards of directors who, who all think that they're your boss. Um, so you've got 10 bosses. And while the board <laughs> takes action and votes on certain things, Every board member is convinced that every idea that they utter is important. And if they said it in a meeting, True. then it became your goal. Even if there wasn't a vote, they didn't determine that it is, in fact, an organizational goal. It's because I said it at a meeting, well, then, you know, you didn't do that. Um, and so one of the things that I think mm -hmm. CEOs have to do, and it goes back to your concept of not being a victim, is to then ask, is this a goal that the board is setting? And then document that. And to share that document back with the board to say, here are all of the things that you've asked me to do. Here's the date and here's an update on that. So that the board can, can understand that oftentimes, while it might seem that there's only two or three things per meeting, over the course of the year, that becomes 20, 30 new things on top That's of what excellent. the goals for the year. And so there, there isn't any, and, it's, and, it, and I think it's so easy to say, well, it's the board's fault, it's the board's fault, it's the board's fault. I think boards of directors that are, don't, don't properly have good leadership um, get into the habit of becoming sort of the, the organization's unpaid consultants. And every, you know, every word that they utter is important and every goal that they set is a goal. And if you don't document that and you don't have a way to mirror that back to the board to say, you know, here's another goal that you set here, but six months ago you said this, and I'm working on that six months ago goal. Um, these seem to be in conflict. You help me understand how you want these to come together. And it's not a matter of I'm a victim and you're putting too much on it. Right. It's a matter of adults having a discussion to say, listen, <laughs> you had an idea and it might be a good idea but we have limited resources. So how do you want those resources uh, to be put towards those goals or do we need to reprioritize? And it's not handing you know, over the management to the board. It's organizing a way for the board to actually reflect on their own decisions. So many good things on that. Um, one of them is personal leadership. And so anybody listening to this can do this. Um, in an early job, in my career, I had my, my boss give me a list of things she wanted me to do in the next fiscal year. 
And I felt bewildered um, because it felt like changing everything up. So I took a legal pad out and I wrote down all the things that I was responsible for already on the left side and then filled up the whole page. And then the new things that were about two thirds of the page on the right side. And as you said, talking adult to adult, not parent to child, not, you know, victim to oppressor, but two sensible, logical adults that really want the best for the organization. I just sat with her and it was a little bit scary, but I said, I really need your help because this is what I see all the things that I've agreed to be doing and have taken on since I've been here. And I see all of this new stuff. Um, and if I look at each one, I can create a reason why these are A1 priorities in, in, abs, in, in their own right. I mean, each one of them I can rationalize as the top priority, but I only have 24 hours in a day and there's only one of me. Could you help me figure out where the priorities are within my job description in this organization? And Ted, she leaned back in her chair and she went, wow. And I, and I actually knew her well enough. I said, well, did I blow it? What happened? She said, I wish I could do that with my boss. So there's this <laughs> whole, you can. So that's one of it. Uh, part, of, part of that is just the personal leadership aspect. Um, and I, there, yeah, so I'm so thrilled you shared that. That's so cool. <laughs> Well, I learned that early on, and, and, and one reason I wanted to share that is to relate it to one of your other findings. So I, I learned that early on in my career when I was not a CEO, um, where I had a boss who gave me this long list of, of priorities. And these were not like, you know, send a letter. These were like major right. initiatives of the organization that was going to dramatically move the organization forward. Um, and so I, you know, I start working on those and, and she actually went away on holiday. And when she came back, we had to work on the budget. Well, by the time she came back mm. and she was only gone for a week, by the time she came back, every priority of the organization had changed. And, and I said, okay, this, wow. is, this is just not good leadership. This is, you know, winging it as we go. And that's no way to run a railroad. So that's where I came up with this notion of the action tracker that allows everybody to sort of have this written document that says, okay, these are the things that we agreed both to work on and to monitor. Um, and it's okay to add and it's okay to subtract, but we are in fact adding and subtracting um, and that we're agreeing that that's, that's what we're doing. Um, so right. The reason and it's not, it's it not just, in the, it's just not a, on the whim of an emotion, but it's actually looking this out and, and giving ourselves permission to, think some things through. Right, exactly. And primarily because we're running a real organization and we have real people who have, have, expect us to do real things that we can't just sort of shoot from the hip. We have to know that we have a plan. So I, I bring this up because I wanted to, to relate in the time that we have uh, remaining. You had one step below, you, you had said 61% of CEOs have no formal evaluation with the board, but 42% of nonprofits have no formal evaluation of anyone. <laughs> yeah. And so my question is, how can we look to the board and say the board is the crisis or the CEO is a crisis or here's when in fact we are, we don't have any agreement on what the evaluation is and we're not actually doing the evaluation. What we're actually saying is that um, the, the average or middle nonprofit has no strategic plan, no evaluation of the CEO, no evaluation of anyone on their staff. Um, 77% have no succession plan. So what we're really saying is that the average nonprofit organization 
has been set adrift and we're hoping for the best. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, wow. Average nonprofit organization has been set adrift and we're hoping for the best. I think part of it's because of the way nonprofits often come about, even though this does, these statistics seem to, according to the data seem to go across organization size. But like you mentioned earlier, good people try to do good work and they get something done. They see a need, they fill it. And then they usually attract other people to that. Um, they never get into it to fundraise, which they need to resource it. So they should learn good fundraising 101 type stuff. And they never really, I don't, I think a lot of, I think a lot of entrepreneurs have this problem too, of looking back, looking at their organization and trying to think about it as an organization versus just an extension of themselves. Um, so, um, w one of the things that CEO, people that get hired into the executive director or CEO, uh, role find that as one of my mentors said the, the seats the view is always different from the captain's chair uh, most of them if they're if they have any emotional intelligence realize they need to go back to their former bosses and apologize because some decisions their bosses made that they criticize make sense it, now. it always looks so glamorous <laughs> it always looks so glamorous until you're in that position and you realize that there are phone calls sometimes at one o'clock in the morning and you realize that there are budgets that have to be uh, uh, met and payrolls that have to be met. And sometimes that, yeah. that whole glamour, you know, and, and the CEO, of course, is jetting around traveling all the time. Isn't that glamorous? Until you realize well, that they don't actually get sleep and they still have to run an organization. So. And if it, if it were just yeah. the external things, that would be one thing. But as one uh, CEO at the nonprofit storytelling conference um, in Chicago last fall said to me, he said, and he said to everybody in the room, he said, you have to just just the next time you think you're you know a critical thought of the executive director, just know that every myself and the CEOs that I know, we are our worst critic. We have a running negative soundtrack in our head of how much we're falling short for the board, how much we're falling short of the staff, how much we're falling short on our mission. So it's not just the external stuff, it's the internal. And I think part of that's because the way we get promoted to leadership is we are good problem solvers. Tom Harrison wrote about this a while ago when he was CEO of Russ Reed. He said, all the diagnostic problem solving skills that lead you to the, the top seat in the organization become liabilities when you're there. Because people don't want you telling them how to fix their role, They're, that becomes micromanaging. What you need to do now is listen instead of fix and explore and help them come up with, with um, answers. But that feels like a dereliction of duty because if you already know – one of my clients was a radio uh, – CEO of a radio station, and he actually knew stuff about towers and, and all – but it couldn't be, hey, this this tower was silent for this period of time. Have you checked these particular things? It was, how, I heard that there was no, there. I heard dead air. Um, and what do you think the cause of that is? Or becoming a little bit yeah. more diagnostic as opposed to just problem solving right away. It's a hard, right. hard right. habit to break. Yeah, it is. It is. So we've only got um, about five minutes left. So can you summarize two things, nonprofit, nonprofit leadership in crisis and solutions for nonprofit leadership in crisis? So the, the nonprofit leadership crisis that um, is going on is not just with governments not understanding the role of, of philanthropy and the role of nonprofits or any municipality that has is looking at how do we tax nonprofits? How do we charge them a fee for taking up space in our town? 
uh, is an indication that nonprofits haven't been sharing, the leaders haven't been sharing the story of their impact in the community. So it's on the macro, you know, national government stage we're seeing in many, at least English speaking countries, but it's also down in the micro. Um, and then the, the board bullying that's happening. Um, there's also the issue in crisis of uh, there are going to be changes in uh, nonprofit leadership because of people retiring, people um, expiring, I guess, people passing away. Um, and there's just a whole new cohort of, of wonderful young people that are taking leadership roles and are going to be 50% of the workforce by 2020. So there's a uh, demographic and um, also cultural leadership crisis that's going on. And what the research seems to indicate is that talking about the organization in a strategic way of figuring out, are we all shooting for the same target? What is it that we're, are we singing from the same sheet? Are, do we agree that this is why this organization is here? Um, is a hard conversation to have uh, as we've talked to people around the country in part because, you know, so I guess it's that whole book, Who Moved My Cheese? We started to do something in the 1950s and there was a different reality then. Um, and and the, it has changed, whether the communities changed that we serve or the sectors changed or the way we goals are done are changed. Um, and we, we need to have the, the conversation of, do we adjust to face that reality or do we choose to just kind of atrophy and die because we're serving a reality that doesn't exist anymore? Hard questions, but really important right. because then you can have the, the strategic plan that allows you to then integrate uh, with what kind of leadership skills do we need in our organization? And people really resonate to getting some sort of education, even if it's peer peer-to-peer -peer, there's a lot of knowledge in our in our even our small staffs um, or there are people that would be willing just to learn a new skill and then share it with the rest of the team even if it's a team of two um, and so there's there there are some real low-hanging fruit that will help us with our leadership but I think we part of the reason to do the research was to to see what's going on but also to give really hard statistics that will help depersonalize the conversation it's not you as a board chair are doing a bad or will intentionally, you know, doing malfeasance or you as an executive director, mm -hmm. but it's, these are things that are going on in our sector and we can be the anomaly. The best part, Ted, is that the bar is so low that you can, you can make some really huge strides by just putting some, 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 I was going to say simple, if it were simple, people would be doing it more. Uh, but by putting some basic plans in place, you can really set up your nonprofit to outlast the life of anybody that's there. Yeah, absolutely. Stay strong and plan your way to success. Um, let's wrap up here. We've only got one minute left. How can my guests reach you? Thank you. Uh, the report is available for free, conqueredleadershipgroup.com slash report. Um, and we have the, posted uh, that on Facebook. Uh, Mark, we posted that on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart. So the link is right there. So anybody want it. And then there's, there's a pot leadership podcast there at Concord Leadership Group. There's uh, great free articles and some courses like the Fundraising 101 at fundraisingcoach.com. And then nonprofitacademy.com has a ton of great uh, inexpensive training uh, and a support group, basically, <laughs> for executive directors <laughs> and uh, other people that are in small staffs. Brilliant show today, Mark. Thank you so much. Great to have you back. And uh, we wish everyone success. Keep up the good fight.
You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach.